And welcome back. You are tuned in to Real People of Orange County on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are broadcasting live from the University of California campus in Irvine. We're streaming on the web at KUCI.org. And we are always available via podcast, both on KUCI's website as well as Kimberly Martin's website. Uh, if you go to KUCI's website, you can check out, click on Talk and uh, scroll down to Real People of Orange County. We have hundreds of podcasts up there. She's been on for years, so lots of great stuff up there. I'm your guest host, Marie Stone, and uh, we're sitting here on one of the most dynamic college campuses in California, certainly one of the most dynamic campuses in Orange County, um, and I'm here with one of the most dynamic women I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, and we're embarking again on a new academic year, and uh, I always feel like, you know, no matter where you are in life, what stage of life you're in, it's a good time to sort of take stock, you know, kind of like um, New Year's Eve. It's a good time to sort of ask yourself um, if you're on the right path, what you want to do with the next year, what you want to do with the next four or five years. Um, if, if you're feeling stuck, is it time to get out? So in that spirit today, we're talking about designing your life and getting advice from a design expert, a former corporate executive of Ikea, because who knows better about design than Ikea? Uh, Pernella Lopez is the international business leader with over 20 years of executive experience and a unique focus on developing both business and people. Among several top executive positions, she held the position as president and CEO for Ikea North America global chief HR officer and was a member of the executive management team of the IKEA group for 10 years. Currently, she is a corporate and nonprofit director in both the United States and Europe with a focus on retail, leadership, strategy, competence development, succession and compensation. Uh, throughout her career, she has been dedicated to advancing gender intelligence, cultural inclusive, <laughs> inclusive and what can I say? Inclusivity, I'll just say, um, and empowering individuals to achieve their highest aspirations while remaining true to themselves. It's through that lens that she approaches her work as business leader, coach, and mentor. She first published the book, If Your Life Was a Kitchen, in Copenhagen in April of 2012, about personal leadership. The American version, Design Your Life, was released um, in 2014 by Beyond Words. I hear now it's being published in China and Saudi Arabia. She has a wonderful website. She has a course. We're going to talk about all of that. Pernella, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. This is a huge treat. In the interest of sort of full and fair disclosure or backstory or whatever you want to call it, um, I'll tell people, I'll tell our listeners that we met about three years ago and I was, I was writing an article about your husband and, and I got to come over to your house and meet your amazing two children who I think then were in their early twenties and meet you. And, um, you just fill up the whole room. I mean, you, you just are this wonderful, curious, energetic, um, force. You're always kind of leaning forward. You're engaged. You're listening and, um, you, you know, you were just the shining star of the room. So, <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so I've been excited to talk to you. This is really great. Um, and I feel like sometime around that time, I just read Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, and you're a woman who just so clearly leans all the way in. And, you know, it's hard not to make um, comparisons when you're thinking about women in leadership roles and women in corporate leadership roles. So so let's we can talk about all of that. It'd be great. Great. So I introduced you, but um, we kind of had the luxury of time. People can't see you, but you're um, from Denmark, despite your last name, which is your married name. You're um, Scandinavian. And I feel like there's a lot we can learn from the Scandinavian 
culture. In fact, as I was sitting there flipping on Facebook today, I saw that the best places for women to work in the world are all the top three were all Scandinavian countries. Um, so to be fun to just kind of go back to your roots and have you talk about uh, growing up in in Denmark and sort of some of the um, some of the things Americans can learn from from your culture. Well, first of all, I mean uh, Denmark is is absolutely a great country, and uh, and and I certainly feel very fortunate to have that upbringing and and bring that with me in my life. And uh, I think one of the important things about uh, Scandinavia and certainly uh, Denmark is also to think about that there is no poverty. Um, there really is an opportunity for everybody to thrive in their lives. Um, there, you sort of grow up with a, a, a really a base that you wish that everybody around the world could have. Uh, you don't have to worry about will you be able to go to school? You don't have to worry about even, you know, are you going to have food on the table um, if you get sick and so forth. So so there's sort of that foundation that I think is is gives all of us in Denmark um, a, a, a great start in life. And um, and I think there's a lot of, um, in the Scandinavian culture, um, a lot of humbleness. I think there's a, you know, there is certainly a level of, of uh, equality and, and you can do anything you want, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up in a very small uh, farm town and it was interesting because um we came from Copenhagen, which was the you know the the capital, and and uh, came in and and sort of was uh, disrupting this little community. And I just remember growing up, almost feeling like embarrassed because my dad was an ophthalmologist, and and he always was sort of like a a, a big voice in this little place. And um, I just remember that one day I would go somewhere where I was could be a little bit more anonymous and just be myself without worrying about what people would think of me etc so on one hand I grew up in a place that was just phenomenal in terms of as a child getting a good start in life Uh, I actually have a a master's in journalism so and, and we can come back to what that taught me because I obviously didn't become a journalist. But uh, I think this growing up in this is in this really great environment. And at the same time, it was also a place of five million people that uh, really everybody was kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I had this feeling of wanting to explore and and. And just go to places where I would, I was very adventurous, uh, adventurous spirit when I was young, and I think still very curious. And so for me, this idea of going somewhere where I didn't have to worry about to fit in and sort of be, it was a little bit like this idea of, of uh, if you stick out, uh, that, you know, that was not easy. Yeah. So what took you to the small town? What took your father there? Because he got he an opportunity to open up his own practice. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, so that was and it was a great experience and I think, you know, everything that you learn and that is a little bit you know struggle and adversity I think just makes you stronger. So sure. I wouldn't have 
changed it for the world because my best friend from second grade we're still best friends and uh, so so I think all of that was a part of sort of the whole story but uh, so in their educational system do they teach you because I feel like here you know you're encouraged to be class president you're encouraged to be team captain you're encouraged to take on the liter- leadership roles and to stand out you know that's how you get into college is by distinguishing yourself and standing out and becoming in, you know you're there's a whole herd of kids who have 4.0s, but how are you going to distinguish yourself? And it sounds like that's not the lesson that they impart. Yeah, I think it's a little more laid back. I think uh, the the schools are certainly, um, you know, obviously quite, you know, good from an academic perspective, but the rigor is just not there. Um, And I think it's the same thing when you grow up and, and become, you know, in the workforce. There's a, there's a much bigger sort of, uh, piece to life than just work. And when you're a kid, there's much more to growing up as a kid than just going to school. So there's a lot of, you know, growing up. I mean, kids are still out playing, you know, most of the day. And home, I, I, Finland is, is one of the best schools. I think it's actually the best, um, uh, educational system in, in the world. And, they never have homework, um, and uh, it's it's all about. I think you you. It's a lot about interaction. It's a lot about um, uh, dialogue, conversations, topics. So you really grow up as a person um, that have, I think, a, a a big perspective of things and challenging and. Uh, and then at the same time, you have lots of stuff going outside, on outside. Yeah. Um, you don't have serious sports the way, um, uh, we have here in the U.S. And, um, you know, everybody plays, for example, everybody plays soccer or handball and, but they do that in clubs outside school. It's not part of the school. Interesting. And you wanted to leave. I mean, I, I, I feel like leaving, um, even your state of origin in the United States is a big deal, but leaving your country of origin is a, is a really big deal. Um, and I don't know if you if you were kind of born with that. Like I'm trying to figure out what your innate Pernilla instincts were versus what was taught to you, and you know, kind of if you always had that desire to to get out to be. Well, I think I definitely grew up with, uh, and my parents have told me that over and over again, that when I was born, I kind of was like that kid that just smiled and was, you know, just always outgoing. And my sister was much more sort of, uh, you know, I would say introverted. And, and uh, so there was a certain difference between the two of us. Uh, so I was this very curious, outgoing, adventurous kid, always wanting to really always take lead and, and often get us into trouble and so forth so that was my personality but I I really uh, my parents were my dad was just an amazing guy and uh and, and of course my mom as well, but he was really the lead in this. When he was a kid, he was a tour guide, and uh, this was before he started medical school. And I really think that uh, he would have loved to do that for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, his parents wanted him to become a doctor, and he did that. But there was something in him that was always this, like, uh, international, loved the the world, and... and uh, and he, when we grew up, he said, I will probably never have a lot of money when I'm gone one day, but I want to invest what I have in all of you traveling. And we traveled all the time. And when we were about eight, I was like at eight years old, 
it was unheard of. It's like over, yeah, it's like 50 years ago. Um, he was going to a uh, conference in Mexico City for ophthalmologists, and he invited the whole family. So we all went from this little town in Denmark and flew to Brussels, then to Montreal, then to Mexico City. So we were in Mexico City. We were in Acapulco. We were in, um, uh, we flew to, um, to uh, Yucatan and then to New York City where we met some family and that was all in a time where nobody did that and I just remember that that feeling of of exploring the world was really and my dad at the same time had such a belief in me that I could do anything so um, I think combination of my own personality the, the encouragement of my dad and my parents to do anything I wanted and then, of course, also um, this idea of having traveled already, the world was just nothing but possibilities for me. I love that. So if your dad had taken your course, your dad would probably not have been an ophthalmologist, right? That is correct. He was also <laughs> an actor. He actually met, uh, personally met Lauren, what did Lauren Stanley, uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, Lauren and Stanley? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The old, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. comedian. But yeah. anyway, so, yeah, Laura he was, Hardy and Lauren, and, uh, yes, yeah. I couldn't remember what their names were. <laughs> I can tell you in, in Danish, it's Gugge <laughs> But, um, anyway, so he really was a man that never got to live his own dream. Um, but then he created it sort of on the side and provided at certainly, uh, that for, for me and my, my fam, my, my, uh, siblings. And, um, he actually, uh, I moved here uh, when I was 23, and little, I think about a year later, he sold his practice because his partner had uh, passed away, and uh, they were very close uh, in, in their business together, and when he passed away, my dad had no interest in continuing, and as you knew, he wasn't crazy about being an ophthalmologist, so this was an opportunity for him at the age of 50 to pack everything up and took my mother and and um, my youngest sister and moved to Florida where he started all over um, as a ophthalmologist at a office where he had to you know he couldn't practice so he started sort of from the bottom but he moved here with his family and and uh, my brother was already here as well and then my older sister came and uh, I really think wow that you know if you think it was a a, a for me, it wasn't really a big risk because what did I have to lose? I was young, and but when you're 50 years old and uh, you know, and really sort of have to start really from a. I remember he made $550 a week uh, for a couple of years, and still my youngest sister was still living at home and had to find an apartment, and and uh, but he. He ended up actually practicing in uh, Wichita, Kansas, as the doctor got his license and practiced there. Was your mom freaking out? I would have freaked no, out. No, no, she really that. wasn't. My mom is, and she's still alive. She's 88 and lives in uh, West Palm Beach. And, and, um, and she, uh, my dad passed away about, uh, yeah, in 2004. Um, and, um, and, and she's just been a strong, she's always been by his side and, and just been strong and, and participating in all his craziness. I love it. Well, I can see the DNA now. <laughs> I'm doing this little, you know, s- genetic strands of yeah. where all this came from. It's, yeah. it's all starting to fall into place and <laughs> it makes sense. And you know, Marie, it's actually interesting. It was really when I wrote my own book. So, you know, you write a book and then 
and it's my own story and all of these things became so clear like the, every step of the way has been of course of course it all makes sense mm-hmm. but um, most people don't get the chance to sort of sit back and and write and and do that so uh, so I've been able to connect the dots in a, in a good way it is interesting how you have to have this stuff sort of externally outside of your head to see the con- connections because I feel like if you just were thinking about it it might not occur to you in the way that if you're organizing and structuring a book and writing it down that you then start to see, of course, of course it was like this. That's great. So, so talk about journalism and how, um, you know, I think it's a, it's kind of a burden to tell your kid you can do anything because, you know, your kid's like, okay, that's great, but how do I, how do, how do I do anything and, and how do I go about this? So, so that initial decision was, was journalism and, uh, so, sort of how did that happen and B, obviously you didn't stick with it. So what, what did you get out of it? Yeah great um so when i grew up i also loved writing and i you, you i would always ask questions i was very curious i and and still really am and uh, but i i thought that would be a great um schooling to have and really be doing that professionally so in denmark there's only one place that you can go and it's a it's a four-year program and um it's very difficult to get in and so I, th- my my parents and I, we like well, th- th- you know, after I graduated from what is called gymnasium, um, you know, I applied and then I went traveling for six months, and uh, I just remember thinking, oh, I hope I don't get in because now I really like traveling, um, and I was very young. It, the average age to get into journalism school is about it was in like the mid twenties. And I was 18. Mm. And often you had another degree, uh, another master. So you would have like masters in marketing or uh, uh, you would be, uh, or you would be an attorney and stuff too. But um, anyway, I have no idea, but I was called and was accepted. So I got into journalism school and, and as I said, it was a four year program and everybody was much older. I was one of the only women and it was literally just like uphill the whole four years. I mean, everybody was faster, much, uh, yeah, they were just way older. ahead of it, older, much broader experience. And, um, but at the same time, I didn't give up. And I think it set the tone for, like, I, I just, every, ever since, I've always been in situations that I was not quite ready for. Mm-hmm. And then I just got to say, of course you can do it. And I think about, you know, I, one of my, you know, my personal heroes have been P.P. Longstocking. And I just love that when she always said, I haven't done this before, so I'm sure I'll be good at it. And it sort of have that uh, kind of, uh, yeah, that drive or confidence in, in me. And um, so I, I did, you know, get through. I actually did pretty well. But every time there was an internship or jobs afterwards, guess who they wanted to hire? So the internship we had to do, there was no jobs that I got. So I created one myself with the United Breweries. I asked them if they would open up a a, um, a position for, as an intern for their informations department. So I did that, and then I did um, ended up getting to a local newspaper as well. So I had actually a good combination. But I had to do it on my own, um, and it was not the most, you know, exciting job that I have to say. Um, and then when the jobs, when I was done with journalism school, 
Of course, it was back to the same thing. All the big jobs were taken. Denmark is not that big of a news world and, and uh, or have that much, uh, you could say, jobs in, in that field. So I became a freelance journalist and I did that for a year. And I'm like, this cannot be what I was going to do. You know, I was like, <laughs> I can't even get a job. And, and I really knew that if I stuck with it, of course, I would be successful. But I, it just wasn't what I had, you know, envisioned it to be, even if I got a, one of the jobs that my friends had. So I really started rethinking, is this what I really want to do? And I didn't go really far. I just said, I think I'm going to travel. And I have always loved design. And so I had this idea together with a friend um, that we would start up a export business of Danish design and then I would move to uh, US and be the importer and that was a great way for me to get uh, my visa to come and work and at the age of 23 I literally left with a working permit um, a container of a collection of Danish design uh, um, underwater and, and you know just my Values and my experience in my backpack and my enthusiasm for the future and, and, uh, landed in Fort Lauderdale and, and, uh, started my life, uh, wow. at that time. So, um, so you've been designing your life from the beginning. You know, if there wasn't a position, you would create the position. If it wasn't working out, you'd find a way to, to, I mean, you, you know, that, that sounds like that's been a theme since you were very young. Absolutely. I just was not that conscious about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so now that you look back, it makes sense. But absolutely. And I think one of the lessons of that for this generation, because, you know, I, I have a, a daughter who's a junior and it's in high school and, it, it, you know, it's terrifying to send kids out into the world as it is now um, with kind of what are the skills they're going to need? What are the jobs that are going to exist? And and this ability to be very malleable and very um, open to, okay, well, I have this skill set and I'm going to create this job that fits these skills, which it sounds like is kind of what you did, um, is invaluable for this generation. I really think that's what they're going to need to do because a lot of these traditional jobs are kind of falling away, you know, that the kids relied on. So that's it's interesting because I think uh, you, you're absolutely right. And I think we are a generation of parents that are certainly... I mean, not every parent would tell their kid, like my dad did, you can do anything you want. Um, I don't think that was so typical at that time. And I thought, I certainly don't think he had this craziness in mind, but hey. Um, but I think, you know, we are that generation of parents where we, we, we support our kids. We, um, we helicopter a little bit, I guess, and, and all of that. Um, and then we tell them, Go after your passion. Do what you want. But it is, and that's what I find, and that's where I think I can jump in and help a little bit, is that when you are faced with that you can do anything you want, follow your passion, and then you look at a world of nothing but possibilities because you have access to so much information and you could do this and you could do that. And what I find with my own kids and others that I speak to is that you literally become paralyzed. You don't even know what the next step is. So you need some sort of process. And 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 I think the very important value of having a job that's very like basic it creates some structure for you and it creates you know a you come to work every day and 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 and, and companies 
do provide structure. They set goals for you, expectations. And as boring as it might sound, you know, that from, I think can be a good place to start. Um, people that are on their own, it's very difficult to, to gain that structure and actually sort of manage your time and, and really am I doing, is this the right first step, etc. Um, and if you don't have if you don't work in a structured environment in a, in a sort of traditional job, um, I think you've got to find out, um, okay, so I might be passionate about this. I might want to do this uh, one day, but how do I bring it into very short term? What does the next three months, six months look like? Yes. And, um, and of course, that is where mentoring and, and some, you know, some sort of uh, action plan or way of going about it. Um, so I think it is, uh, it, it is challenging for, for I think, uh, the generation. We've always been in our 20s exploring, um, you know, sort of new things. That's what you're supposed to do in the 20s. But I think this group is so um, they are so ahead because they grew up with so much information. They handle a lot of things. They have big capacity. But slowing down and actually reflecting and not being in a hurry all the time, I think, is almost the biggest opportunity and the biggest thing we can do. And I'm sure you do that. I say to my kids, slow down. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so many things you just said. I kind of want to unpack there. Uh, the first thing is that you applied to journalism school because maybe it was one of the hardest schools to get into, and I think that is a compulsion of a lot of kids is I'll apply to Stanford or Harvard, not because I'm desiring to go to Stanford or Harvard or it's a good match for me or you know that's how I see my life unraveling, but it's the hardest to get into, so I'm going to do that. And... Um, you know, I think that's how I ended up in law school because it, the path was clear. It was hard to get into. It was prestigious. I, I'm the worst, you know, personality, you know, archetype a for a lawyer. Um, I hate confrontation. That's your whole job, right? So, but it was hard to do and, and there was a clear path. And so I think, um, one piece of advice to, to leave people with is to really think through, you know, is just because it's the hardest path or the most prestigious path, is it the path you really want to be on? And, it's you know it, it is hard to I think pull back from that and say you know that's that's actually not what I want you know I'm not going to follow the herd. Yeah, and I think with that too is is uh, also it, whatever you do, it's not it's not final. Yeah, you know, like just because you like yeah, it's interesting because I do have some friends that be, you know have their law degree but are not practicing law, and I think that education was is an incredible uh, education to have no matter what you do uh, for me as a journalist I mean so yeah now later on in life I am writing I wrote my book and you know maybe I'll do more writing maybe I'll end up writing um, you never know but what I it's funny because what I took away is exactly the essence of journalism no you're curious you 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 f- you don't know the answer and you are actually going to go and find out so you get thrown into a situation you don't know anything about and you have to figure it out yes. um, so does it matter that I you know became a journalist or not the the I think I the, the key is I accepted early on that it wasn't for me and it wasn't like I didn't try but I just knew no this is just not going to work and could I have made it work of course but right. 
I also realized I can say, no, I, f- I failed at this, and it's okay, and I'm going to try something else. And, and, and that is, I think, for me too, it's, it's, I, it is important to fail. Nobody goes into anything and say, I'm going to do this so I can learn how to fail. But accepting failure when it happens is actually a... I go back now, and, and when I'm successful, I didn't really learn that much. But when I failed, when I struggled, that was when things really became alive. Yes, yes. And one of your biggest um, tips right now is journaling. So from out of journalism... Yeah, came journaling. Right, came journaling, right? <laughs> we'll get into that in a minute. But um, So let's shift into Ikea, because the thing that, re- that really strikes me about taking risks when you're 20 um, or 23 or even 30, it's a little safer. Um, but you went through a, a really serious career in Ikea and corporate management and um, president and CEO of Ikea North America. And you were able to say, okay, that also is not working for me at a certain time of life. So kind of walk us through how you, how you got to Ikea, um, kind of what you learned there and, and what, um, caused you to walk away from that. How long do we have? I know, right? I will try to do, I, I will try to do it, um, quite, but it, um, so just so, so, um, yeah, to understand that, I had my own company for about two and a half years, and then I had to, at that point, say, I don't know enough, I'm out of energy, I'm out of money, and i got to go and find myself a job. And um, I was actually at a point where I was starting to really move in the right direction, but I literally was just out of confidence, and, and, and I needed to find something where I could really be guided and 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 get just a, a job. So there was a guy that had uh, owned some furniture stores in Florida, and he had said, anytime you want to come and get a, a real job, Penilla, let me know, because he was a customer. And I was still naive at the time, not really knowing that much about American culture. And, and uh, so I thought he really meant that I could just call him and say, you wanted me to get a real job. And so I called him up, and he was definitely taken by, back by me calling but hey, he says, okay, I will do that. So I got an opportunity to work in um, in, a furn- in his flagship store in Miami for $5 an hour. And with the commute, I think I spent all my money on, on uh, actually driving. And at the time, I lived in a garage um, that somebody had rented out. And, you know, I, I became a very good salesperson in that store. But I realized the woman that was my boss... There was no way she was going to give me any kind of like opportunity to grow. And, and so I kind of, I, so I, I decided to call him back and say, when you said a real job, is this what you had in mind? <laughs> and, and it was interesting because what I learned that moment that I again will never forget is he turned it around and said, well, what is it that you want to do? So I had to come up with something really quick and ended up asking him to learn everything that was about the furniture business. So I got some jobs um, in his office and ended up actually being responsible for 24 stores in that chain. Wow. Still want to call some of those people, apologize for my terrible, inexperienced management, but that's, you know, <laughs> difficult to do. Um, but anyway, wow. so at that time, I got to know uh, someone uh, that was a rep for a furniture company, and he connected me with a business going to California. 
and there was actually a business that were copying IKEA and I got the opportunity to work with them and uh, got a senior position and started you know building you know similar like IKEA stores and um, it was here in in City of Industry and Tustin and uh, that was actually where I met Jason my husband we met in the Tustin store and um, so the good thing about that company is I met my husband and uh, but it was also a time was he buying furniture no, he actually worked there. Oh, he worked there. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So uh, he was going to school to become a teacher. So uh, that company, uh, what I learned with them is it was it was a venture capital venture uh, capital uh, investment, and and uh, and they really were just wanting to build competition for IKEA before IKEA came, and it was it was an incredible experience because they had really put together some amazing people, and uh, we built this store on record time and and uh, but it was interesting because they only had one goal which was to copy ikea so it was not the easiest to find out then what do you do when it doesn't work because you don't know the thinking behind it um and eventually they were taken uh, bought by ikea um but before that i when ikea came to california i applied and i felt this would be a perfect match for me and uh, for sure when i came to ikea i felt like almost being at home and uh, I started out as a sales manager and uh, then um, I my dream was to become a store manager and at this time uh, Jason and I got married and we had our daughter that was two years old and our son had just he was five months old and I was offered a job to be a store manager either in Houston or Pittsburgh and so we were like wow okay um and you know what it was interesting because we chose Pittsburgh um, and ended up actually living, I think, in one of the best cities in in the world. Hmm. Pittsburgh is an amazing place, and we moved there um, not knowing anybody. And Jason didn't have a job when we first got there. Uh, it was the worst IKEA store in the world. They were about to close it. I was the third store manager. Um, it was a tough environment in Pittsburgh in general because of the economy and and uh, and at the same time you know I showed up there with two kids an unemployed husband they had never really seen a female store manager <laughs> and certainly not one that had never done this before so I showed up and they were looking at me like what did we do to deserve this um, but it was it was interesting I learned here the real lesson in 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 that store was I had nobody to go to. Uh, we had no money to advertise. We had no money for anything. It was my job to turn it around or we would close it and we were losing a lot of money. So I had nowhere else to go than to just ask the employees, what do we need to do? Mm-hmm. Let's do this together. And the community and the customers. And I I studied the community. I went to big, uh, uh, there was conferences about how to transform uh, the city, just a lot of stuff. And then, of course, working with the employees side by side. And uh, we turned it around. Um, We donated, we became a family-focused store. We had lost connection with the community. Um, The advertising campaign when the store opened in Pittsburgh was Sweden invades Pittsburgh. So that was not a good... Uh, so we really alienated ourselves from the community. But anyway, those are the things that the community, the consumers, and the, the co-workers are really sort of what I connected with and, and have kept that in my back 
the rest of you know be able to talk to anybody in the store listen to what their issues are and address them a lot of times these issues are small but they mean a lot and um, so anyway the store turned around and i was offered a i was always talking about culture employees um i felt we weren't living the the kind of promise that we had given um, and of course, that was because we didn't, you know, we didn't make money and stuff. But there was something that was missing because IKEA's culture was very much about focusing on the employees and providing the place where you want to come and be for the rest of your career. And I started being very vocal about it. And before I knew it, I was offered to be HR manager for North America. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did that. And, and uh, it was called the uh, sort of the era of of unleash the potential and I realized that a lot of things that we could do was simple for working families we got part-time benefits for employees we got um, domestic partner benefits and we were became sort of like the on the you know edge I remember I was the family champion for mothers uh, working mothers magazine and um, it was really a, a, a great time and and but it was very draining on me um, because it took my about you know diversity and life balance and really kind of speaking on behalf of a lot of our employees was you know just a it was like a I said you know walking an elephant up the stairs and uh, lots of devil's advocates always and uh, it took a toll on myself and I was doing that while I was commuting between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia because our head office was in Philadelphia so I did that for four years and Really, that job in every aspect, I had an anxiety attack at some point where I was taken to the hospital because um, I was literally, ru- I was running on empty. Um, and, uh, but at the time, it, 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 it really shaped a lot for me those years because it, I was not afraid of anything or anybody. I stood up for what I believed in. And that was a huge lesson, even if I personally had to sacrifice. It was a tough time in our marriage. It was a tough time with young kids, the travel. Um, and uh, But then we actually got to a point where we decided, and, and it fit with Jason's, uh, his career is now you know, beyond teaching. He's an administrator in Pittsburgh. And he was offered a job in Philadelphia. And so now both of our careers were going to come together also with our families. So we were just looking at houses in in Philadelphia, and uh, we had a new CEO for IKEA, and he was really uh, incredible. He, I worked for him for many years, and I had worked with him on a global HR project. I was the le- the chair of the committee, and we created a new strategy for all of IKEA's um, human resources and a people strategy. And in that time, I had worked closely with him. And so when we were looking for houses in Philadelphia, I was asked by my boss at the time who was about to go back to Sweden. He was president of of IKEA North America, and he called me in, and I was like, oh, we're moving, and now I'm probably getting fired for being such a, you know, radical. And uh, so It's funny, that's where your mind would go. (laughs) Exactly. But I've learned that even, you know, anybody's mind go there quickly. Isn't it interesting? But anyway, I'm like, no, that's probably not. So I walked in there, and I certainly didn't expect him to tell me that the new CEO wanted me to take his job. And that was huge. I mean, it was just like the most stunning, kind of like took my breath away. I could not 
imagine that I was going to be that I was going to actually um, be uh, the president and, and I had never yes. never had that in mind I thought the job I was currently in which was the HR job I barely knew how to do that and now I was taking on this huge job and um, huge expansion that we were heading towards and in probably the most difficult environment of 9-11 and all kinds of external issues as well as internal um, transitions and transformations and so forth. So, yeah. So you just kept saying yes. Yes, I yes, just yes. Kept I'll on just saying, keep doing it. I just keep on saying yes. And so one of my lessons actually was that, you know, when your passion becomes your obsession, that's when it gets really dangerous. And I, and, and my mentor today was the HR manager for Canada, and we're very close friends. And he wrote the introduction to my book, and he's, he always said to me, you never take breaks, do you? And I was like, no. And I was sort of proud, not proud of it, but it was, I was so engaged that if we had to take a coffee break, I felt that, ah, it wasn't a waste of time, but can we just get back into it? And and uh, and it's interesting because he was actually with me when I had that anxiety attack. And he said to me when the doctor came out from the hospital, from the emergency in the emergency room, he said, "You will know this was the best gift ever." And I'm like, "What? The best gift?" Um, <laughs> so uh, at the, I, the, an advice that I got from a woman that really has helped me. When, when I came to terms with that I was going too fast, um, had to learn how to say no to take care of myself. Um, she actually caught me because she said, you've been here for three days. It was like a week program and it was a personal development in Stockholm. And at some point I, I could not look at her because she sort of could look right through you and she was very uncomfortable. And at some point she said to me, why are you always leaning in? What happens when you sit back? And that was really like, I, I realized that I was leaning in too much. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you told a story, I was listening to an interview that you did, um, where you told a story about reading a, a book to your son about a mouse that dies. And, and he said, why didn't you cry when the mouse died? And you said, is there a mouse? You know. So you're, I mean, it, it just goes to show how much your mind was always occupied. Yeah, and, and never right. connected never really. Connected. Um, with where where I was at the moment, so it was really like just your mind takes off and and has a tough time. Minds go forward, no, or go back. They don't really. Our brains sit, sort of yeah. sit in. Uh, so yeah, it was huge learning, and and uh, and it's interesting because you know was there a lot of people that saw that this could happen? Absolutely. Was I willing, able, open to listen? No. And I just needed to have this experience on my own. And and I see that with many, many, uh, you know, not only women, but also men, that when we're in those, I call it really the, um, it's sort of like the uh, uh, spinning cycle uh, and, and, uh, of your life where you have small kids, your career is taking off, you're both working, you're ambitious. You're, it's like everything just is like humming at the highest level and it's just not and and you are it it does look for others that this is something it's not going to end well either you're going to get a divorce or you're going to get physically or emotionally uh you know sick and uh and and it just doesn't have a good ending and but 
I, I watch it and I think I have been there for so many people when some when they when they feel that stop themselves and you just gotta be there because you're not willing to listen. I have a friend that was having um, heart issues and was taken to the hospital and she did like me, you come out the next day and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm fine <laughs> and I said to her don't you remember what happened to me? I wasn't fine. I just went back in the same pattern and I never stopped. And I just, until a year later where I just realized, wow, what have I done to myself, to my kids, to, um, and, and she said, no, I'm good. I'm good. And, you know, you got to let people then figure it out on their own and just be there when, when things maybe, you know, unravel or something. They assume it's a sign of strength, but in some ways you could say it's a sign of weakness. It is. You know, Absolutely. Right? It's, the, it's the strong thing to do is to say it's enough. And that's why I was saying that whole experience, this was all when I was HR manager for North America, and, and all of that really prepared me to be president free because now I wasn't taking things. I had learned to create some level of space. Like, I didn't consume everything. I... I was able to, I, I made it very clear uh, when I was not traveling that I was going to go home at 5.30. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to email on the weekends. I was not going to be on with people on the phone unless it was an emergency. And I told them, when we have company, I want you to be home with your families. And those people that are visiting, they can go and shop in King of Prussia and go out on dinner. You, you do not need to entertain. Because people were literally working, you know, around the clock. And so I, I really wanted to make it clear that I had to trust the people around me. I had to hire the best I could. And we also, all of us, had to have a life and prioritize that. Because if not, you're not going to go and, and do the kind of things we did at that time. Right. My guest today is Pernella Lopez. Uh, she is the former um, president and CEO of IKEA. And we have to get to the design our life part because we only have like 10 minutes left. <laughs> Can you believe it? Um, so you started the company, um, Design Your... Well, the book is called Design Your Life. The website is... Um, Good life designed. Yes, correct. Uh, and it is wonderful. There, there is a wonderful blog on there that I spent hours on today, kind of decompressing. It's got wonderful advice about unplugging from your phone and, um, taking pleasure in small, quiet moments that we don't do enough. Um, so anyway, talk, talk about the, um, the book and, and the class and the website and, and, uh, kind of take us into that part of your life now. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I uh, left IKEA. Uh, I felt my season was over, and I took this year off, and I wrote the book. And I, I, as I mentioned to you before, so much came to clarity just writing my own book and sharing the tools. But now I had to figure out for myself what would I do for the rest. I was only fifty-three when I uh, left IKEA, so I followed a lot. I journaled for the first hundred days. I, but you know, I would be after a year. I thought I would have like a real clarity about what I needed to do and wanted to do, and the reality of it was that I actually started out just taking a list of what I don't want to do, and that helped tremendously because it's almost like an overgrown forest. If you don't take all the stuff away. You can't really get to the, the, the real trees that are the, 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 for, the pure force that you want. So that was an important thing. But um, what I realized is that most people, it is very difficult to actually uh, go from, yes, I want to design 
my life, but what do I start with? Mm -hmm. And I realized that if you would just take some of the things that you do in business and bring that to your own life, as well as um, add a couple of components into it, but um, in a in a business, you a successful business has a mission, a vision. They know what their core is. They have values. They have culture, um, and they constantly review all of that and. I realize that's what we need to do as human beings. We need to treat ourselves better than the business. And um, so out of all the tools that, that, that we have, I realized that there was just such a need for people to um, get some guidance on how do I go about it. And and I think we wanted to demystify this idea of that you can live the life you want to. It's n- I, I have coached and mentored people that have zero money and are not, you know, wealthy and it's not a luxury and they have made the smallest of changes that have made their lives so much different. So it's not about money, it's not about and and uh, and so Good Life Designed uh was really created because I wanted to share tools and support to to people around me. Um, I know that it was a huge privilege for me to get all of this, and I wanted to share that and make it affordable for anybody and that cost and all that. So can you give an example of making a small change that makes a big difference, like what somebody could do to... um The biggest thing is journaling. Mm -hmm. If you journal, if you just take a period of, let's say, three weeks where you will journal every day... Mm -hmm huge what you get so I was uh, I, I one of the things that, that I uh, a, a woman that I'm mentoring hugely successful doctor in New York and she was like oh I don't like to journal and she started journaling and two weeks later I talked to her and I said so how did you and she's very good about doing what I you know if she believes that it's going to work you know she'll go through the hard work even if she doesn't like it <laughs> she connected back with that she had not been playing uh, uh, piano for 17 years oh. and she started playing every morning after she had done her journaling and her whole perspective of her life and she had a lot of issues she was facing in her personal life with her family at work but you know what she connected back with that music and that made a difference um, another uh, actually a journalist that w- had a fantastic job in Denmark and he said, I don't need to journal. I'm a writer. I said, well, then you know how to write. So, yes, you have to journal. And so he started journaling, and he started realizing that he had lost the connection with who he is through his company. Mm-hmm. And he ended up actually, you know, he ended up leaving the company, but the the, the change was connecting back with your core values. So one of the things I think that can make a very small, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's hard work, but it can make a big difference in your existing life without making major changes just to connect back with your core values. The woman I was talking about with the piano, she said to me when she had done the work around core values, she said, and my aspirational value is, you know, being fearless. And I said, or maybe that's your core value, and I think the first one she had was honesty. That maybe is just sort of like an inherited good behavior. 
And the next time she came and she says, I am fearless. So it was very interesting. That's really interesting. So the, so what I have learned is, is trying to, you know, with the book is my story, but really a lot of tools from what I've learned. But then I, between my mentoring, doing workshops, retreats, and my, and the work I do myself, there is actually a very clear process that gets people to clarity. And, um, yeah, it starts with journaling because that opens you up. And I think a lot of unblocking and unstucking happens through journaling. Um, so it's nothing uh, amazing. But then I also have a tool that's kind of mapping your life. And it's hugely helpful because if you feel like you're really unhappy about your job or whatever it is in your life, if you start breaking it down and say, well, what is it out of this mapping? Where am I with the difference? Suddenly it's like down to one thing and then you can fix it. So yeah. it's very practical. Um, it's about core values and you got to create your mission statement. Then you got to make an action plan. And then one of my favorite is to, you know, have, you know, having a mentor your whole life. It doesn't have to be the same one, but is so important. And I think today even more with what I started saying that you know my kids have many more opportunities and are much further along in so many ways than I was at my age because of technology and information and so but they're also almost too fast for what they can keep up with and so I just love this ability to to have a senior person that has gone before them that is open and and can connect with a a a uh, 20-year-old and have that mentoring relationship where there's no competition it, it's uh it's hugely important and 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 reaching out to have a mentor is i think can change your life it really to, can. yeah to have that outside perspective yeah i think is really critical we're out of time how did that happen but i want to um give people your website one more time build your life no, no. It, it is good life designed. I wrote that so many, <laughs> I wrote that so it's many okay. times and then it didn't go there. Okay. No problem. So yeah, goodlifedesigned.com. And like I said, there's so many, uh, it's funny that I messed it up because I spent so much time on it today. But again, uh, you can find your book there and you can find, um, blogging and more about you and there's a great video. And on we there. have our online course and, uh, and the online course, right. That actually speaks about all of these things. So absolutely. This was, this was wonderful. Pernilla Lopez. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is all the time we have for today. Stay tuned for Ash Kumar coming up next on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We'll be right back here with you next Thursday at 4 o'clock. So until next time, thanks so much for joining me. Have a great, great day.